Good morning. Uh, thank you for joining us at the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, my name is Khalid McCaskill, and I'm a first-year MBA at MIT Sloan. It is my pleasure to introduce our panel, Entrepreneurship for Impact, Athletes Making a Mark. Our panelists today, Sue Bird, WNBA champion, Olympic gold medalist, and co-founder of A Touch More and Together. Brian Westbrook, Managing Director at Athlete Entrepreneurship Network. Lindsay Kagawa-Kolas, Executive Vice President of Talent and the Collective at Wasserman. And our uh, panel will be moderated by Michelle Steele from ESPN. Uh, the panel will run for 45 minutes and we'll leave around 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please submit questions on Twitter using the hashtag AthleteEntrepreneurship and uh, questions will then be selected by the moderator. And with that, Michelle, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Khalid. Good morning, everybody. Um, so because the NFL Combine is this week in Indianapolis, and I have a bunch of colleagues who are in, in Indiana right now, clearly the Combine is about the NFL draft. I decided to start this panel out with, wait for it, you guys, just be on the edge of your seats here with the sound. Do you hear that? That. There you go. I do my own sound effects. Brian, when you hear that sound, did you get a little chill? I do. It takes <laughs> me back to 2002 when I got drafted. Oh, yeah. Long, 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 long time ago, but it was a great and exciting time of life, of course. At 18 years ago when you were in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know. Don't remind me. I saw, okay. Some, okay. I saw Robert Kraft in the back, so... <laughs> Not a great memory for me. A little trash talk backstage. Of course. But the reason that I started out with that draft sound is because if you could draft people to talk about our tit the title for this panel, which is Athletes Making an Impact, I think you would take all three of these people in the first round because they all have amazing and interesting and different experiences to bring to the table when it comes to what is next for athletes after their playing career. Sue Bird, how is retirement treating you? Pretty good. <laughs> I'm not saying I should have done it sooner, but it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, so for two of the athletes on the panel, Lindsay, I know you're a college athlete, but I'm, I'm, gonna, focus, I'm gonna focus on the pro. <laughs> that, that's news, I'm gonna tweet that out. Lindsay, Lindsay Cole. Yeah, retired, not coming back to the game. And by the way, if either of you, if either of you are close to pulling a Tom Brady, maybe like back in, back out, you know, let me let me know now. We're, Absolutely we're, not. No. Okay. These knees aren't meant to play football anymore. My Brandon Stewart <laughs> left the storm. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> so when I I used to live in Boston, I'm in Chicago right now, but I was here from 2013 to 2016, and Tom Brady was someone that we did cover quite a bit with the Patriots, and. At, at the beginning of my tenure with uh, New England, he sort of wore it as a badge of honor that he wasn't really on social media, he wasn't doing a ton outside of football, it was all about the championships, and I feel like that was the mindset inside, certainly inside the Patriots locker room, but things have changed quite a bit uh, since then. For both of you, the pro athletes on this panel, at what point in your career, you know, during that tenure also, you started getting on social media. You saw TB12 pop up at Patriot Place, which is his own branded, you know, lifestyle and fitness and nutrition um, outgrowth. But for you guys, at what point in your career did you think, I'm a brand, I want to develop this, 
I'm thinking about, I want to think about the future and what's next. Um, so the quick answer to your question is, um, very quickly, the life of a women's basketball player is usually that you play in the WNBA in the summer, and then you go overseas to play in the winter. So it was around 2014, I stopped playing overseas. And that gave me this unique opportunity to keep playing, and I obviously ended up playing for another you know, six, seven, eight years, but I had my off seasons now to, to maybe start to figure out like what else am I interested in? So that's the quick answer. Um, it's a little more complicated in mm. that at that point in time, what was I seeing? I was seeing women's basketball players go into coaching and I was seeing women's basketball players going into broadcasting. I kind of knew I didn't want to coach, simply we were joking about it, simply because of the life of it all. Like I just didn't want to have like the same exact life that I just had. So I was like, all right, let me try some broadcasting. Cause that was, it was like one of two things. Yeah. And that's what I did. So I dipped my toe in some broadcasting, tried some college stuff, um, did that in my off seasons. And that's when I started to think to myself, all right, again, like what can I try to do now that'll, that'll help maybe give me an idea of what I wanna do when I actually do retire. Um, but then, oh, actually I'll add the, Dev the Denver Nuggets front office position that I had. That was part of that kind of exploration as well. Can you talked about that a little bit? Yeah, it was literally just an opportunity to do something in my off season that I never would have been exposed to otherwise. Um, m very much a learning experience and I learned that it's really hard and <laughs> I don't know if I wanna do it forever. Um, but yeah, what I was gonna say was, um, oh, but then life changed. Times changed. I think how we look at women's athletes, especially in team sports, has changed, and that has directly impacted me and what now is possible. So really the answer is I did start to think about it. I had no idea what was possible, and now that's all changed. So I look at it much differently now than I did even just, gosh, even just three years ago, four years ago. I think the Nuggets experience is, even though you know it was something that you figured wasn't for you, that is still beneficial. That is still helpful, oh. you know, in terms of informing, okay, I don't want to do that. It's right? not that I don't want to do it. I'm actually still open to it. There, there, were, there were things I really, I think if I did go into professional sports, it yeah. would be in some sort of GM front office position. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally stealed, I stole some stuff, took that right back to Seattle. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is how you do it? A lot of times in the WNBA, we're just not exposed yeah. to some of the, for lack of a better, higher level because we don't have the amount of people that they have on staff. You know, I want to get into the businesses that you are in a little bit later on the panel, but when you were talking, um, it reminded me of a, a Steve Jobs quote where he said, he talked about entrepreneurialism and running your own business, and he says, you know, don't get into businesses that you're not passionate about, because running a business is really hard. And if you're not waking up and you're excited every day, you're not going to be successful, or you're much less likely to be successful. So we'll talk about your passion mm -hmm. projects in a little bit. Brian, how about for you? You know, when you were playing in the NFL, of course, glorious career, Eagles Hall of Fame. At what point, I mean, when you're in it, football is your life, right? You know, at what point and how challenging was it to kind of not think about that and try to plan for what's next? You know, when you think about professional athletes, and Sue and I were just talking about this, your whole goal in life, your whole objective, everything that you're doing is pointed towards being a professional. And when you reach that level, that's all you're thinking about. And I'll never forget my, my rookie year, I'm walking into the facility during training camp, and one of my mentors, Troy Vincent, who's was in the league office now, stops me and says, listen, you need to start thinking about what you're gonna do next. 
on your first day. Yeah, we were, we were still early. We were in training camp, and I'm like, well, Troy, I literally just achieved my dream by getting drafted <laughs> and being able to play in this league, and I'm trying to figure out how to stay here. And he was like, well, you have to start figuring out now what you want to do next. But here's a problem. At 22 years old, you don't listen to that. You say, okay, I hear you, and you just don't listen to it. And then as you age in the league, you start to see guys that you play with, and they start exiting, and you see what happens to them. Mm. Some of the guys go on to great careers and other things, and some of the guys just kind of flounder. And at that point, you start to say, okay, what's next for me? What's the thing that I want to do? Where do I want to head with my career? How do I want to position myself? The, the stats are kind of crazy. The stats say that it takes professional athletes between five and seven years to figure out what they want to do next, which is a long, a long time. The, it's longer than the average NFL career. Absolutely, it's much longer. The, the, the staggering stat even added to that is most professional players only have two to four years worth of savings. So there's a gap between how much money you have left in your bank account and the time it takes you to find what you want to do next, to find that purpose and passion. And that's a lot of problems for a lot of professional athletes. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, you're talking about um, the pathway, right, of what other guys have done. You know, in Chicago, at least, the sort of tried and true path for athletes after retirement, or even a little bit when they were playing, you'd see Michael Jordan having a restaurant. Now, he has his own business empire, but, you know, Walter Payton had a restaurant. Ditka's was a big thing. Like, those are very capital, you're talking about savings, those are very capital-intensive businesses that are also hard to sustain and, yeah. like, don't have a very high level of success all the time. You know, you see car dealerships sometimes, um, endorsement deals. Lindsay, when you were advising uh, Sue in 2014, when she was starting to think about this, how did you guys weed out the business opportunities and how did you figure out, okay, this is, this is our plan, right? Yeah, I mean, the hardest thing about representing Sue and she won't blush here, is that she's actually good at everything that she does. And so... You know, there's a pickleball demo later. Oh, I Are saw it. Are you going to be involved? <laughs> I saw it. Okay. Let's see what happens. So that's the hard thing, is that right. whatever comes, if Sue decides, oh, this is sort of interesting. Sue's too good. It's, <laughs> it's possible she's going to be really good at it, but then it's about how much time, right? So Sue had done a really good job of saving money mm -hmm. from having played in Russia, played overseas for a really long time, which is not easy. You miss birthdays, you miss your family, right? Like, did you miss the birth of your nieces? I did. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff, right? And it's a huge sacrifice. But I think a lot of women's players who went overseas for all those years, best case scenario, you've saved enough to do what you're passionate about when you're done playing, mm -hmm. right? So, so you, I, that's what you advise your clients. Like, have a little bit of a cushion Right, so that you can have some time to. You want to you want to do that. What was the phrase? I think Diana used it a lot about we're doing this so that we can do what we want. But it was very catchy. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, you know, in the best case scenario, you have that flexibility, right, where you exit your playing career and you can take time to figure it out. Starting that earlier is smarter, right, because it's easier to get your next job when you when you're in your job. But it's also when people want to talk to you, when they want to offer you opportunities. So Sue always has a ton of opportunities. It's just about what's interesting and then being able to follow that, right? And then figure out how it all fits together. What Sue sort of ends up doing or the puzzle of how those things fit together may not exist, mm. right? She's actually like a pilot. Women, women athletes by almost every measure in everything they do in the business that I operate every day is 
at its core entrepreneurial because you are mostly creating from scratch. A lot of those guys you mentioned, right. maybe it's their money, maybe it's not. She Maybe. said earlier, there's, there's no blueprint. She's right. making the blueprint exactly. as she goes, which is it's, it's hard to do. And we're doing it without a lot of funding. That's right. We're doing it with people who have to be convinced to invest by showing them the numbers. They have to feel it. They have to believe in it. They have to see it as an investment and not as charity. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what we fight really hard to do. And people are starting to see those returns. But it's, it's a growing and young business around women. You know, I want to get into the branding opportunities and building your brand and how you identified your passion projects. But you mentioned Russia, and you were on a panel right before this about Brittany Griner. You know, Lindsay represents the elite talent um, in women's basketball. And uh, I was so taken with the story, and I think everybody in the country was, with her detention in Russia. Two, two things on that, which is, this is a life-changing, I mean, you are in, you're in an international hostage. It is a life-changing, game-changing event. How is Brittany, how has she changed? And how does she, the, the, the ecosystem or the landscape of how she saw her career playing out, how did that change as a result of this? So that's a, that's a lot to cover, but. Well, I wouldn't be a really good agent if I didn't say you gotta wait for her first interview because that's gonna be a really interesting question, I think, for her to answer. Maybe it'll be with you, we'll see. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. Um, Barbara Walters right here. But having been around her quite a bit since yeah. she came home, you know, and having been there in the moments when she first set foot on American soil, she's still the same person. Mm -hmm. um, I think that being a hostage for 10 months has a way of focusing you and helping you understand what's really important, and I think that you can feel that in her. I think there's a joy, and she's got more good days than bad days, but you know, it's a battle. She's been through something really, really hard, but what she's also done, and I think what she realizes, you know, when, when I first had a conversation with her when she came back, about her statement just saying thank you to everyone who had worked to bring her home, she is the one who said, I am coming back to play basketball. My plan was to not talk about it mm -hmm. that day. We were not gonna talk about that. She brought that up and she wanted to do that. She wanted to get back to her team. She wanted to get back to the WNBA that supported her, that showed up for her in frankly ways they always have. But now we have, and on the last panel I gave Elizabeth Lindsay who's here credit for I think explaining it this way that the WNBA and its athletes have been incredibly cool and a great product for a really long time. But it's almost been in a bubble. The problem is not the product. The problem is the visibility. Mm. And what Brittany has done and what people like Sue are doing in other ventures and being at places like this is, is piercing that bubble where people now are seeing the greatness that has existed. And so the opportunities that we're pursuing with Brittany now with right. you know, wellness at the center of that, she has to be well, she has to feel good, she has to be okay, and that's work. The Mental health? Yeah, absolutely, sort of? absolutely. Okay. But the projects that we're pursuing, at their core, she's still the same person. You know, the campaigns we built early on around We Are BG and about the, the campaigns, the, um, the Heart and Soul Drive, which was around collecting shoes to distribute to unhoused folks in Phoenix, that became a 12 WNBA team market strategy. And part of it was because we needed to have a campaign that wasn't specifically about her case because of so many of the layers we were dealing with. 
but also it's exactly who she's always been. She just didn't have the media coverage. And so here we are at a moment where she does have quite a bit, and she is really invested in using that and using these opportunities, whether it be book or doc or scripted, all kinds of offers to make the world a little bit better for other people. That's WNBA players, that's women athletes, that's black women, that's queer people. It's anyone who's been marginalized, and it's also specifically detained Americans. Right. Because through her campaign, what we were fighting really hard to do is make sure that people understood this is an American problem, and it is a patriotic act to care about bringing Americans home, and all of us should care about that. That's nonpartisan. That's for everyone to care about. And so we're going to continue that work, and that's going to continue to come to life through what she wants to spend her time on. But to answer your question, that's not, the hostage part is new. We all learned about hostage diplomacy when Brittany was taken on February 17th. And the rest of the world found out in early March when it became public. But it's exactly who she's always been. It's frankly who WNBA players are. Um, <clears throat> I was telling Lindsay this backstage, but uh, I was watching one of the interviews with Roger Carstens, who was the ambassador, who was the representative from the Department of State who rescued, rescued her, yeah. right? And one of the line he had, you know, I am Roger Carstens, and I'm going to butcher it right now, but, you know, I'm a representative of the Department of State, and on behalf of Joe Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, I'm here to take you home. And it, I just, I, I read it and thought, this is out of a movie, you know, this is going to be like the ultimate scene one day. And, and anyway, I can get into this more, but on the rush, playing basketball in Russia, and playing basketball overseas, we know basketball is a global sport for men and for women. Are you seeing fewer players? Period, go overseas. Obviously not Russia. But like, just not doing that anymore. Or doing that less. Yeah, I think it's, a, and Sue can speak to this too, it's a function of a few different factors. The market overseas, because of the economy generally, globally, has constricted. Mm -hmm. There's less opportunities. You know, now Turkey, we've seen all these earthquakes. We just lost one of the highest paying teams in Turkey in Hatay, which is, has been devastated by these earthquakes. Right. That team is gone and was driving a lot of the market there. There are still players that do go overseas. Brianna Stewart is considered by many to be the top player on the planet right now. And she's right now playing at Fenerbahce, you know, in Turkey. People can, you know, talk about the safety of that decision. But it's definitely about the money. But it's also, it's a really long off season that especially for the younger players who need to program that off-season with training, you know what it's like as an athlete. If that's not built for you, it's a long, the WNBA off-season is about eight months. Yeah. To maintain a high level of training and fitness and just attention, that's a lot. And so some people do choose to go overseas because they just need to play basketball and have some of that structure. She went for a shorter season. So we're starting to see that. There's also a lot more movement you know, in the WNBA to try and compensate players in other ways to keep them home. Right. We can talk on another one-hour panel about whether or not that's working, but really the marketplace is also starting to provide more opportunity just from a commercial standpoint because people are finally coming to understand that these women are terrific investments. Um, Brian, I want to bring you into the conversation because you work with startups and entrepreneurs. Can I ask you what sort of got you into that and why that sort of is a passion project for you, tra transitioning athletes to becoming entrepreneurs and doing their own thing. Yeah, you know, well, just for myself, becoming an entrepreneur, you know, I saw my parents work 40 years. My mom worked for the government. My dad worked for a bank. And 
after 40 years, they were like, they shake your hand and say, thank you, mm -hmm. see you later. Sure. And you just wonder those 50, 60 hour weeks, you know, if you were putting that towards something that you owned, something that was yours, something that you had direct impact all the time on, where could we have been? And for so many minorities, that for a long time, that wasn't even an option, that wasn't even a thought. It was go work for someone else and figure it out. And now, you know, just because the times have changed, you're seeing more minorities become entrepreneurs. And when you think about players, I saw guys transition out of sport. I've seen guys go into the good things. I've seen guys and, and girls go into the bad things. And I wanted to make sure that we were having conversations about athletes, both male and female, transitioning properly. Mm. About them transitioning and using their network, building their network so they can be successful after the game, after the sport. And truly, as we all kind of understand, that starts while you're playing. You mentioned it, Lindsay. You, that starts when you have all the attention on you. That starts with building your network when you have an opportunity, when people are calling you back. I tell these young guys all the time that um, as soon as you retire, your phone stops ringing immediately. And it happens very quickly. Sue, it hasn't happened for you yet. It won't happen for you. But it happened for me. As soon as I retired, the phone stops ringing. And now you have to have an opportunity to go out there and find work. And so with that, we've built this network. It's called the Athlete Entrepreneur Network. And the whole purpose is to help educate, to help empower, uh, to help connect our athletes so that the transition is smoother. We want our athletes to understand uh, entrepreneurship. We want them to understand business. We want to connect them with thought leaders, business leaders, and it's led by athletes. So it's that, that locker room feel. So now we have women and men that can leave the sport and jump right into something. And they're not worried about how much money do I have in savings. They're connecting the dots from the people that they've met and the networks that they've built while, while playing. Are you seeing the coaches around the game, the front offices, change in their approach and their mindset as it relates to athletes wanting to build their brands? I mean, I thought it was mind-blowing to me to see Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey doing a podcast about the Super Bowl, a game in which they were playing in the week they're preparing for the Super Bowl. Now, would Andy Reid would have let you guys do that in no. Philadelphia? Is that like Andy? Andy was always he probably still is anti social media, anti Andy's old school. He's he's the old school coach. But some of these young coaches, they have to accept it. They have to. Times are changing. Players are now in business much earlier. Players are understanding that instead of paying me a check for an endorsement, I want equity in your company. And so now that I can organically promote. Aquafina water as I drink it and I'm taking pictures. That's what ownership looks like. That's what players have to be educated on and that's what we're seeing now both in the, the female game and the male game. That's what's going on. That's what we should be doing, trying to find ways to not just collect checks while we're getting rich by playing the game. We need to create a legacy. We need to collect checks for a lifetime. That's what we need to start thinking. And the coaches, they'll, they'll adjust to it. The old school coaches will be phased out at some point as well. That's what happens, right? The transfer portal hits harder. That's it. Too. That's it. That means something. And it's starting at a younger age. Mm -hmm. It's starting at the college age. You know, forget about the pro. I mean, maybe by the time you reach the pros, it'll be too late to start your own brand. You start high school. Yeah, you start in high school, right. maybe even before that. But how much is NIL changing the recruiting game for the college athlete? I think social media changes it too. I mean, I think part of yeah. it is social media, part of it is NIL. And the name, image, and likeness, how do you control that? That's super important, but Melinda, you see it all the time. Yeah. I mean, the transfer portal too, right? Yeah. And 
you know, different collectives that are just funneling booster money. And look, I'm, I'm an athlete agent. I want athletes to get paid. But I also was a college athlete who only really came to understand the resources available where I went to school as a junior senior and stayed for a fifth year to really figure out how to take advantage of that network. Going to college has value beyond just getting paid, and I'm not trying to make an argument for kids not getting paid. I think they should, but we need to provide some structure, right? The companies they're investing need to understand what it means for their business so it's not just a one-off. And the athletes, I think, to the work that you do every day, need to be educated yeah. about simple stuff like you got to file taxes. Mm -hmm. What are the questions I should be answering? But like, am I passionate about this? And again, to your point, is it just about collecting for most of these kids a $500 check, or should they be making sure they get an off-season internship? Right. And I see it as a vehicle for the for the most elite, and we represent a couple of them. They do very, very well financially. And their business plans function the same way, you know, as a suburb with a little more input from, you know, a head coach because we have to work around that schedule. But the athletes we represent NIL, we sort of treat and build their businesses the same way as our pros. But I think by and large, the piece that's missing is really helping kids understand the opportunity holistically, not just collecting the check. Are we going to see a change in the elite of women's college basketball as a result of coaches, as a function of coaches embracing? that aspect of it, embracing I, I think for the players becoming For the fans. savviest kids and, and for the kids who have agents coming into school, I do think we'll see that effect because some people are doing a lot better, some environments and at certain schools are better. Right. You know, is it a better royalty with their group licensing deal? Is it more integration? Do you have a section at your bookstore that's dedicated to you? There are ways to do this that's not just under the table sort of funny money. You can do it in a way that builds the business and the kid gets a heck of a lot smarter Right? And that connects to boosters in ways that are meaningful long-term from a legacy perspective, like your job when you're done playing, not just a check to collect and make sure you have to file for $500 that year. Mm. But so, I, yes, the answer is yes, I do think it's, it's going to affect, and already is. People are getting paid to go places. It's beyond just who's the shoe brand. Right. Right? It's beyond just do they win. Kids are looking at this like a business. You know, staying on the uh, women's sports landscape, uh, there's a stat here that women's sports only receive 4% of all sports media coverage. And you're in that space now, uh, right, Sue? Can you talk a little bit more about what you're trying to do to counter some of those uh, headwinds and the, your media company? Yeah, so the media company is called Together. Um, underneath that is um, the production company that myself and my partner Megan are part of, which is a touch more. Um, and that was the reason that Alex Morgan had the idea. It's the reason she called myself, Simone Manuel, Chloe Kim, to start this production company, which is now more of like a media commerce company. Um, it's to get women's stories out there. It's to tell stories of girls. It's the see it, be it moments. It's to create those because the you know, historic media wasn't doing that for us. I, you know, when people ask me all the time, like, oh, who was your favorite player growing up? I didn't know any women's players' names. I was lucky that somebody took me to a 1995 women's national team game and I got to see Jen Azy for the first time. Otherwise, I would have said, you know, Larry Bird for natural reasons. Um, or, you know, he's John uncle, Starks. Right? Yeah, because my uncle. Yeah. Um, I actually got to tell him that. Um, so, yeah. So it's to change all of that. And, you know, kind of circling back or touching on what we were talking about before, when I was kind of, sort of, realizing I, basketball wasn't going to last forever, and I said there was coaching and there was broadcasting. 
who at that point was creating content as a former female athlete? Who was you know, in that position to do that? And to be honest, I actually, I love being in front of the camera. I enjoy it. I find that broadcasting kind of, when it's live, it gets your juices going. Not quite the same as like a national championship game or anything like that. But there's something there where like you have one shot, you can't mess up. And that's exciting and I have fun. I love producing. It speaks to me, it's, it's, it's something that was a part of my career. I'm a point guard, I orchestrate, it's like what I do, I've got my fingers over. That's what producing is in my mind. I discovered this when Megan and I did um, our IG live show over the pandemic, but we started to have like segments and like we were on the clock. I was like, you know, I'd be nudging her like, hey, you have one more mini, you better wrap, wrap it up, wrap it up, because we gotta move on to the next, <laughs> you know? And it that's when I really realized and how amazing would it have been if there was somebody else whose footsteps I could have followed at 34 when I stopped playing overseas and I could have already started this process, but I didn't know. I had no, like, I had no idea. So together, and a touch more, what it represents is a way for, yes, for me, as now a retired player, to help you know, create a path for others, to get people's stories out, to be behind the camera. Absolutely, it's my way of um, I think all of our ways of paying it forward in these ways. But it's also like I get to creatively kind of like, you know, have fun with it. I now, you mentioned being passionate. Yeah. If I woke up every day having to do something else, I don't know. But when I wake up, I'm like, ooh, that would be a good story. They like hit me all the time. And I really enjoy that part of it. So that's the long answer to your question. And with the media company, are you guys doing deals with larger, you know, let's say an ESPN or any other, any other of the networks? How does that actually work and how do you guys fund yourselves? Yeah, um, well from the start we got funding and that's how we started, so that was great. Magnet's been an amazing partner. Um, and Magnet? then from there, it's, yes, Magnet. Okay. And then from there, it's, it's pretty much operates the way I feel like you would think of a production company operating, right? Like you might have a story you wanna tell and then you try to find either maybe a brand sponsorship situation where, you know, are we using Aquafina today? Yeah, Aquafina. Maybe Aquafina, Aquafina shows up. Aquafina is right. getting like, a oh, lot of <laughs> you know, water sponsored us. Right. Um, and we can get it out that way. Or we're starting to get into longer form. Um, and that's where you start to do you know, pitch meetings with different networks. Um, so it can, it can, it can show itself in, in many ways. But we're, we are definitely on that train full go. And uh, sorry. Sorry. Are there other production companies that you're kind of following in their footsteps or who have done it the right way that you want I mean, model yourself after? I do, I do think the, the natural comparison is with Uninterrupted because right. it was right. started by an athlete, it's telling all these stories, you can go on their platform and see a story about X, Y, and Z, they also now have you know, longer form things. But I think what we're finding is we're so much different and more dynamic, and it's not to, I, I, we're partners with Uninterrupted with Love Is, so it's not to hate on Uninterrupted, but, I don't know, there's something special about female athletes, about women's athletes. Um, there's a lot in that, in that recipe mix that we've all, the, the lives we've lived and we've gotten to experience different things. And I think it's important to have those women in the room that experience talks and it has value. And I think that's what's gonna end up separating together. Mm. Uh, and for both of you guys, how do you sift through, and, and did you sit down and say, uh, these are the top five things I like, these are the top five things I'm passionate about. What is that process for both? I can answer very quickly, like, I mean, my agent happens to be up here. Like, I'm very lucky to be <laughs> represented by Lindsay, by Wasserman, in that they ask you these questions, they let you mull on them, and then they also provide direction. 
I mean, you can't, there's no way. I, I want to know these questions. Just what are you interested in? Okay. I mean, we were actually joking. It's like, as athletes, like we are used to getting, you said this, Brian, like we're used to getting asked the question. Right. And so then when we have to be like the one thinking of things on our own, it doesn't always come so naturally. But then at the same time, we do have this value and this experience and this like wealth of knowledge in this whole other way that has nothing to do with a boardroom or anything corporate that we bring to the table. And it's just about like taking that all and finding ways to like mold it into this path that what is unique to each athlete. But again, I'm really lucky. Thank you, Lindsay. For like people around me that help like guide me and nudge me and like push me and like, well, this might be good or that might be good or I don't know if that would interest you. It's a, it can be as simple as that. What's so funny with that that's rooted in, sorry if I cut you off. No, you're um, fine. You know, representing women athletes, we'll take the credit when it's given. Thank you and thank you to our team who's here supporting. Um, you know, representing women athletes is complicated. It, it's, it's beautifully complicated, but it's always had to be about the whole person by necessity, it, things were not easy, right? Like we had to cultivate and think about what matters, what are you interested in? We have to be, as I said, very, very entrepreneurial. And, and we are, you know, have to wake up every day being, just by nature of our existence, political. So a lot of our work is around social justice, political action. It's about rabble rousing and, you know, getting people to pay attention to what we know matters. And so we get to know our clients as people first mm -hmm. because we have to do that work, right? To make people pay attention, right. we have to be in that work together. So we probably have the advantage of coming into a relationship and you know, transitioning to what's next, knowing Sue and what she cares about pretty well. And, and that, I think, is, I'd like to call it a luxury. It comes with work, obviously, but we've worked on stuff that it's not about transaction or commercial value. It's about purpose and values. Right. I have a great example. Brian, we will let you talk, I promise. Um, <laughs> when the WNBA was in the bubble, you know, very famously, we wore the Vote Warnock t-shirts. Um, when that idea was kind of like just getting going, the, my first phone call was to Lindsay because here was a situation where like, I think I knew this was the right thing and I felt like it was, but at the same time, like I needed guidance. And in that moment, boom, I get to call Lindsay. She gets to help me like whittle it down and figure things out and ask tough questions. And you need that guidance, I think, as an athlete because like I said, clearly we had the idea, we were on the right track, but then you need someone to help you like mold it and fit it in. And I think that's like a nice little, it's analogous to what you, and this is where I'll hand it off to you, to what you might come across when you are starting to figure things out. You kind of know, mm -hmm. you need somebody to like help you out. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I'm, I'm part of my athlete entrepreneur network is part of a bigger business called Underdog Venture Team. And when you talk about molding it, you know, as athletes, we kind of, we know we need to get to 10, but we're at a one. And we got to figure out sometimes how to take that first step. And my, my neighbor, Dan Mannix, who's our co-founder, you know, he, he built a branding, a marketing, a, a, a business around being able to help, we, we have advisory, you know, we, we do a lot of different things. We do events as well. And then we have the Athlete Entrepreneur Network. But when we thought about it, we said, we want to help minorities. We want to help minorities have ownership. We want to invest in 66% um, of our companies will be either female-led or BIPOC-led companies. That was important. That was important to us. That's important to our CEO. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the things that when you talk about finding your passion, you right. have to dig in deep inside and see what's important to you. To me, what was important is helping empower athletes make better decisions, 
help athletes be prepared for what's next. Make sure that athletes are ready and use what you have. Use your social media to your advantage. Use your endorsement, use your sponsor, use your network to your advantage. And unfortunately, and I'm sure you've seen this too, so many athletes don't. So many athletes are like, you know, this is kind of floating. And then when it's over, they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's, it's just too late. Yeah, finding, finding your passion and knowing your why is so important. And the how is almost not irrelevant, but you can figure out the how once you know your why. That can inform everything else. You know, one thing you're also very involved in, Sue, is fashion. I'm not going to ask you who you're wearing. I do like your sweater. Thank you. <laughs> um, but how did that come about? Uh, so, yeah, not, not in necessarily like a traditional way. Um, it's not like I have from birth been like all about the fashion and, you know, on the websites and looking at the next trend. It's not that. For me, what fashion represents is being uniquely yourself um, and finding comfort in your clothing that then allows you to branch out in this other way as your authentic self. So mm. that's where I get excited around fashion and that's now what has become kind of my, for lack of a better lane within it. Um, had a lot of help from, again, my partner Megan who helped open my eyes because I feel like a lot of times um, what we all come across or all kind of you know, bang our heads against the wall of, oh, I don't know, I'm nervous, is it me? I don't know if I'll be, and it's like, you just need someone to, to nudge you again and to like just, maybe this is like the story of my life, I need some nudges. Um, but I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And Respond to coaching well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so that's really, that's really where, what fashion has become. It's about me really fully representing myself. And then with that, I'm able to sit on a panel up here and be comfortable. I'm not worried about if my feet hurt. I'm not worried about what I'm wearing. And I can just talk to everybody and kind of be natural in that way. So that's really the bent. And I would love to... So you bring stuff up. There's definitely some stuff in the works, whether it's with Together or Touch More. We're working on things where I would love to be able to not only give that to other adults, because I think it's been wonderful for me, um, but also trying to get to younger generations in that way. Like, I think about my draft pictures. I mean, Lindsay, you kind of brought it up. It's like earlier. Like, some of the clothes that, that I was in earlier in oh, my career. Oh, I wish we had the pics. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, so, I can see the discomfort. Really? And Yeah, and like... Who knows? I mean, it all is, it's like, it's just clothes, right? But Megan always says, it's like, but we all wear them every day. So some people are like, oh, fashion, what's the big deal? You wear clothes every day. It is a big part of how you present yourself, right? And I think with that, when I speak to myself, I think of those early years, and I'm like, yeah, no wonder I didn't come out as gay. Like, clearly I was just a very uncomfortable person. Like, look at that face. She just looks like, oh, what am I doing in this? So I, like, wasn't comfortable with myself. But I'm like, oh, imagine somebody had helped me figure that out earlier, you know? Um, and this actually does tie into this panel because, again, this is another way in which I would love to pay it forward, not just to, you know, former athletes, but really anybody. And this is part of, like, what I'm really excited about in terms of creating content. Yeah, I, and um, I feel like fashion and basketball just go, have gone hand in hand oh, yeah. for so long. For football, I think it's starting a little bit more. I can't, uh, the name of the running back escapes me right now, but there's a Washington Commanders running back who did the big hat. Um, and, you know, everyone laughed when they saw that photo of the big hat in the locker room. And then, like, 24 hours later, SVP had the big hat on SportsCenter. You saw, like, every other media person. You actually saw other, other football players latch on to that. 
And you realize when you're playing, that is why you need to think about the future when you're playing because you have your peak leverage at that point and your peak visibility at that point. At first I thought it was a joke. A joke. I don't think it's a joke. I think they are selling those big hats. I don't know what brand they've uh, partnered with. Of course they're selling them. If it's on TV there, of course but, they're selling them. Yeah. Isn't that why, I mean, when you were playing, Brian, would that have, would that have been okay? Like. No, 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 I wouldn't have been wearing it, but that's, you know, my fashion is, is designed right, by know. my wife. Whatever she puts on the bed, that's what I wear. That's how my fashion is determined. She's the, influ the ultimate influencer. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think sports and culture and fashion are all intertwined at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, so you, you watch, when you watch TNT, they're watching guys come into the locker room. Same type of thing when you watch the pregame shows. They're watching people and girls and, 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 and then the guys coming into the locker room. So you can see what they have on. They're making fun of them. They're saying it's a great choice. It's all part of it. And again, that's some of the athletes now saying, I want to be in the, you know, the, the, the New York fashion shows. I want to be in these types of environments. They're expanding. They're expanding their network. They're expanding what they want to do. And they also are saying, this is something that I'm in interested in. And I want to do it right now. I don't want to wait till I'm done. And that's, I, I personally feel that's a great thing. I think that more athletes should do it. Um, before I was a sports reporter, I was a business reporter and uh, covering tech and enterprise and a bunch of other things. But I remember when I was covering tech, we would talk about unicorns, right? Uh, you know, companies that can scale up and become essentially multi-billion dollar entities. You guys are the unicorns. There are millions of people who play sports at very young ages, almost nobody becomes a pro. You are those unicorns. How are you able, and what are the qualities and skills that you cultivate as an athlete, right, that can make you successful after your playing career is over? I think Sue's a unicorn. 20 years, she, she said something earlier that made me laugh. She was like, yeah, I'm just gonna play for a couple years, and she ended up playing 20 years, which is uh, nuts. Um, you, you know, when you think of athletes, and I'm sure Sue would share this, you're dedicated, you're disciplined, you're hardworking, you're coachable, you're, you're resilient, you're able to say it's the next series, it's the next play, it's the next possession, it's the next quarter, it's the next game. Mm. And those are the same things that you have to say in business, in life, period. Those are the same things that you have to say. So we're built for that. Here, here's the problem for athletes. When we left college, those people that were 21 when we left and we, we finished playing in 10 years, 20 years for Sue, those people have 20 years of experience working, and we don't. Oh, and so now for us, we go into the work world and we're like, all right, we don't know any of these things. All the things that we learned in college, I, you know, I got a management information degree, I got an executive degree from Wharton, I don't remember any of those things. I need practical knowledge in the real world, and that's what we're missing. So I, I, truly, we have to find employers that are saying, hey, we see your skill set. We see all the things that made you a great player, and we want to be able to teach you the practical stuff. Let me teach you about work. And then for the employees, you have a great employee because he has all those skills that you learn from the sport, he or her, she, man or female, you have all those skills that you learn from the sport, but now you understand the business and you can be very successful that way. Um, and, and those are the types of people that I think we want to breed and build. Yeah, to your point, um you know, let's use us, like they can teach us how to use Microsoft Excel. Yes. And I don't know that the things that we picked up as athletes are always easily teachable because it's been, I mean, you say a, a pro career, yours 10, mine 20. I mean, I was playing since I was like seven. Yes. I'm sure the same for you. 
So this is like lifelong skills. Um, I kind of joke, us athletes, we're all just like little Jason Bournes running around out there. Like we've been like, <laughs> like brainwashed in this way to like be coachable and discipline <laughs> yep. all these things. And we get out into the real world and we're like, wait, right. what? You know? Um, but it can be, I think. I, I, like, I'm actually proud that I don't know how to use Microsoft Excel. All my friends are jealous. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm like, why would I ever need that? Like, can you run a pick and roll? Like, right. what are we doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the one thing I'll just add, because I, actually I can't even really add directly. I think um, Brian hit it. The one thing that's interesting about, and, and, and I know this is like a certain percentage of professional athletes who then go on um, as retired athletes to continue to be themselves, I guess, in this world. I've been in a lot of rooms, right, with a lot of different athletes, like the greats, whether it's the Serena's, LeBron James, you name it. And I've been in the room with a lot of like top actors, like legit actors and actresses. Mm. And I think we can all kind of sit here and be like, if LeBron, I'll use a few, if Serena walked in, you're like, whoa. And maybe if, I don't know, Jennifer Aniston walked in, you'd be like, whoa. Jennifer Aniston is asking for Serena's picture. Yeah and not necessarily the other way around. Not that it never happens, but I just feel like in my little observations, I've noticed like the athlete, because you're yourself, you're out there performing as yourself, I think it's a little different than other celebrity in the world. And that gives you this like cultural cachet, this capital oh, yeah. that you can then use. Like there is something different about being an athlete. And I think that's why combined with all the skills that we've learned, like there's something special there to be tapped into when it comes to then entering the business world. Well, I think especially now too, and what sets the great ones apart is that like competing, showing up to compete is a skill, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. To take those risks and you guys do that, right? You take these huge risks in front of millions of people. It's all on the line, right? We represent Olympia, uh, you know, specifically Olympians too. If you don't win that race, you're not going to the Olympics. Crazy. Like, that is so wild. You've been training for four years. You've got million dollars of sponsorships. You're in commercials that are going to air at the Olympics. And if you don't win that race, yep. you're not going. That's nuts. There is something really special about the person who gets up on those blocks and goes out and wins. Yeah. Right? I, it's greatness that cannot be denied. It is. It's, and it's absolutely incredible. objective. And it is and it's terrifying. I mean, I could not stress. be an individual athlete. Yeah. It is. I look at individual athletes, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. That grit and the ability to show up on time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My favorite uh, track event to watch is Hurdles. It's boring. Insane. Not going to be late. <laughs> My favorite track event to watch is Hurdles because I just, oh, you'll put your, you put yourself Heart. in those shoes and you're like, yeah, I would not clear the first one. My heart. Um, we've got live questions now, a lot of good questions from the audience. Um, this is interesting. What current athlete is the best business person that nobody knows about? Um, Undercover. If I say nobody, I can't talk about my clients because then I'm terrible at my job, right? Yeah. I think <laughs> well, Andre Iguodala is a good athlete. We, we, see, <laughs> oh, okay. see how that works? So, see, it's not because <laughs> I know. See? Great really minds, good. great minds. That's Andre Iguodala, why? Well, I, I think what a lot of athletes don't do is what Andre did. He took a little bit less money, went out to the, the Golden State, got involved with VC World. He learned, first of all, he had to educate himself. Um, then he got involved with the entire culture of the VC world. Then he found ways to get in deals. And that's, what, that's really what athletes can absolutely do. Sue can do it, I can do it, a lot of athletes can do it. Find ways to get into deals, and it's not necessarily about putting money in the deals. It's about sweat equity, it's about promoting, it's about giving those opportunities to, to, to those founders um, 
to, to get celebrities around. People want to be around athletes. And so um, it, it's a great opportunity. And Andre has, he, he's just done it in a great way. First of all, he educated himself. That was number one. And now he's figured it all out. And then you see a lot of the athletes, LeBron and Steph, are, are kind of doing the same type of thing. KD is in, v, in a VC world as well. They're using what they have to be able to get much further than what their athletic career can get them. Right. And with Andre, he's in a space that's a little bit more behind the scenes. Yeah. And he put himself in a place where, you know. And he's a great player, but he's not, he's not LeBron. Yeah. He's not Steph. He's not KD. Right. I mean, he has a bunch of championship rings, but he's not a top 10 type of player. Anyone can do it, but it takes some, some, some work. I would just say the, the, the stories that, that I would tell are a lot of my former WNBA teammates. And the, the big difference there is, you know, a lot of the names you name, like, they already have money. They got big money. <laughs> like, it's easy to get in those rooms. You got money. Like, yeah. Like, of course, you know. Um, the, the one that comes to mind, just because I had a front row seat to it, her name's Tanisha Wright. She's currently the head coach of the Atlanta Dream. She was a longtime Storm player. And she, at age, like, 26, mm -hmm. took some extra classes in real estate started buying and flipping properties. She's been doing that, so she's probably like 36 now. Uh, yeah, something like that. So for 10 years now, she's been buying and flipping properties. She has an amazing, successful basketball career. She's about to be an amazing head coach. She already has a side hustle. Mm -hmm. It was already in place. I mean, I was watching her take calls on the bus. No. Yeah, like literally. Um, and she's been doing that from, from day one and has built an amazing business. And again, that's to the question. It's like things you don't hear about. And there's a lot of WNBA players with stories like that. The good news is we're starting to build the bank now, too, right. where we can get into those VCs. That's right. Well, and what women athletes have that some of the male athletes who do have, you know, the pocketbook that these early stage companies are just looking for investment. Mm. They have a unique experience as women, right? There is a whole flood of early stage opportunities that are speaking to women, they're speaking to black women, they're talking about fertility, they're talking about wellness specific to women, they're talking about parenthood or motherhood, postpartum. These are all places that our clients, women athletes, are uniquely qualified to lead and provide service. In exchange, another name, I, I represent a woman, Ibtiaj Muhammad, She's the first American to wear hijab in competition at the Olympics. Um, and she sort of came onto the scene and qualified for the Olympics during the rise of Islamophobia, right? right? And, and Trump pushing this agenda. She has a really successful, modest clothing line. She dresses very modestly. She covers, she wears hijab all the time. And for years, predating her Olympic fame and becoming a New York Times bestselling author, she's had this modest clothing line and just recently, there was a lot of writing about the Middle East specifically being one of the most lucrative places mm. for the development in and around fashion. You see a lot of the most innovative and successful places like Net-A-Porter. You can search by Modest. You'll see Nike doing a lot more. They have the performance hijab, which is about innovation and about inclusion, but it's also about in a huge business that Ibtihash has a specific connection, an authentic connection to. One, uh, one thing that, real quick fun fact that I learned, um, and this is a little bit related to the NBA All-Star Game because it was in uh, Salt Lake City this year. Salt Lake City is apparently a, the capital of modest clothing also because of the Mormon population in Salt Lake City. So they have a lot of brands and retailers who specialize in like V-necks that are like not too deep and skirts that are a little bit longer. Anyways. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Athletes are susceptible to losing money on bad investments and business ideas. If, they don't have the right advisors, right? How can athletes ensure they have the right support system in the entrepreneurial and venture capital space in place? 
You know, the first thing that I would do is you find yourself a great mentor. Find yourself someone that you can look up to that's in the lane that you want uh, to be in. And because of social media these days, you can touch anybody. You can touch whoever. You, can, you guys can touch Sue, she's right here. She's in person. I think that we have the ability through LinkedIn, through any social media channel, to be able to get in contact, ask the right questions. One of the things, and Sue mentioned it earlier, was that you have to become great at asking the questions, asking the right questions. And our, our CEO, Nicole, just continues to say, ask the right questions. If you ask the right questions, you'll eventually get to the part that you really are looking for. And so I, I just think that, you know, find the right mentors, put yourself in that right space, but you have to first study your craft a little bit to be able to do that. Mm. Uh, if they know their why and find their passion, how do you recommend post-athletic career athletes monetize their passions? I feel like the answer is similar. Yeah. That, to be honest, they already did the hard part. They figured it That's out. That's the hard part. Right, yeah. right. Finding like, yeah. what you're passionate about. It kind of can sound easy and it comes easy to a lot of people, but that's definitely the hard part. And I think the answer is similar. Whether it's like the people that have already helped you through your career or probably people that you trust, lean on them, but then ask questions. Yeah. Connect with different people. Ask your teammates. Hey, like I'm interested in this. Do you know anybody? You know, it, it can be that simple. You know, I have a teammate named Trent Cole, and all he, he's from Ohio. All he wants to do is hunt. We, went, we go to the Pro Bowl. He, we're, we're hunting hogs like crazy, and that's his passion. That's what he did. And so he bought a couple farms in New Jersey, and he has this thing called Blitz TV. He was a defensive end, got a lot of sacks. It's called Blitz TV. It's all about hunting. And all he does, especially with the aid of social media, is show people how to hunt, how people, how to, you know, trap different animals, deers and hogs and things like that. Makes a bunch of money just doing that. That's his passion, that's his lane. That's where he wants to be successful. You know, these days, you put social media up and say, this is how I'm making dinner. This is how, and people follow you. It's, it's a lot easier now than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of uh, Blake Martinez who just retired, I think from the Giants, he used to be with the Packers and he, uh, uh, is going into Pokemon cards full time. And he retired in the NFL just this year and he sells Pokemon cards. He has his own, you know, different channels for it. I think he made five million in seven months mm. just from Pokemon. But Pokemon is his passion. <laughs> it's interesting that it's not sports trading cards. Why are we playing sports? We should just do that. Yeah, I know. Just go into just go into Pokemon. Speaking of savings and Lindsay, you were talking about, you know, encouraging the athletes you work with to have that, you know, cushion. Um, are there things that when you guys or even now, you know, what are the things that you're indulgent with that you'll spend a little bit extra on? And what are the things that, not that you're cheap about, but you know, where can you find savings that you're, you're not gonna spend a lot of money on? <laughs> you don't care about, right? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Start down there. Um, I'd have to think. I mean, clothes is Those probably, are the things that you'll pay a little gotta, bit more Yeah, for. I'll pay a lot for clothes, because um, they last. I'm a big, I repeat, I'm not like anti that. I wear my sneakers, that's always like a big question because I have a big sneaker question, I wear them. Um, so that's probably what I'm, maybe, that in cars, I don't go, like I like having a nice car. Yeah. I like the, the comfort and the luxury of that part. And home, I guess. You said A, you said A car, not 10 cars. Yeah, I have two, modest. <laughs> Susan's expensive. Susan is expensive, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. I would, there is no, actually that's a great point. There is no amount of money I wouldn't have and probably even still wouldn't spend on like my health. Mm. So Susan Borchard, she runs Athlete Blueprint. That is the woman that trained me throughout my career. If she would have said like, it's a million a year, done. I would have spent it. I, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's like divide by a lot, but I would have spent it. That's like something I would not um, pinch pennies on. 
I'm trying to think what I do pinch pennies on. I think, I think for me, I, I spend money on experiences. I have three kids, and so it's about right. for me building opportunities and experiences for them to see different things, do different things. Um, and, and, you know, we, we pinch pennies on everything else. I live in New York, so we got to <laughs> pinch pennies all the time. But, you know, experiences, opportunities for the, for the kids and myself as well. There's no right answer to that question, but um, for me, it's got to be travel. Like, if I'm too far in the back of the plane, I get a little claustrophobic. Uh, for me. Mm. That's like the little, the little thing that I spend a little bit. First more. class. Yeah, not all the time. Like some of those, sometimes those upgrades kick in. It works. You know? Lindsay, do you have an answer to that question? Um, I spend a lot on private school. <laughs> <laughs> on but that, it's funny, in, in Oregon, education is, you know, foundational. I also wanted my son to learn to speak Mandarin because one of my big regrets is I don't speak another language. I'm fourth generation Japanese. My grandparents were interned and they didn't speak Japanese at home. So that was always something that I struggled with that I really wanted for him. Mandarin seemed like the right play. And that was where we could do it. Um, but also in, in Oregon, you have to pay to find diversity. Mm. And so that was something that was really important to our family is to be somewhere that that was centered um, and important and that he could be around more kids that look like him. So we have to you know, fight to create those types of experiences in a state that is predominantly white. There's you know, socioeconomic diversity within that, but yeah. that was something that we were willing to invest in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, time is the most valuable thing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time working. Edu education, yeah, yeah, absolutely, education. Um, speaking of education, thank you to MIT for having us today, and I hope you guys enjoyed the panel.